Hey, what's up, guys? It's Mike Lynch. What's going on? This is Rashad. This is the Sports Sunday Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. It is now brought to you on the fan by your local Les Schwab Tire Centers. Doing the right thing since 1952. Weekend sports with a difference. So I thought it'd be fun if we all went around and said our name and a little something about ourselves. I'll start. A look at the weekend in sports with the inside story on the Blazers, the Ducks, and the Beavers. This is Sports Sunday with Mike Lynch. At least I have my own bed. Your bed is a car. Yeah, but it's a sweet car. And Rashad Taylor. Will you stop your damn sniveling, son? Buck up, Bart. Buck up. On ESPN Sports Radio 1080, The Fan. It's one of those rare times right now where there's really nothing on TV. I've gotten so used to having soccer every week where... We can just flip it on the TV, and we got some soccer to watch. And Rashad might not like it, but at least it's sports. Yeah, kind of, I guess. It is. It's real sports. Yeah. But I I actually spent, like... Anything that ends in a tie is not a... I'm sorry. Well, I mean, football games end in ties, too, which is ridiculous. But I don't know. That should... I don't know. I think that's silly. And now they're shortening overtime, so they're going to be more ties. Which is the the <laughs> dumbest thing in the world, man. Like, who wants to see it? To, that that's the most anticlimactic thing in in sports. Like, imagine you you've just spent three hundred dollars going to an NFL game, or for yourself. So if you bought two tickets, then you're looking at six seven hundred bucks. Sometimes you've bought the beer, you've bought the nachos, which each spent each cost you like nine ten bucks a piece, and then the game ends in a Ty? Huh? Well, nah, nah. It's got to be sudden death. We got to play paper, rock, scissors or something. There needs to be a result. In soccer's defense, a tie isn't nothing like it is in the NFL. Like a tie still gives you a point because in soccer, the standings are point-based. So a win is three, a tie is one, a loss is zero. So if you're playing, let's just use this as an example. If you're like a low low team, right, bottom of the table team, and you're playing one of the best teams in, in the league and you tie... For you, that's considered a good result because they're a better team and you still got a point off of them. And in the NFL, when you when you tie, you you get a one in a random tie column that winds up hurting you sometimes in the standings. I'm just gonna go ahead and throw this out there. You didn't help your case as far as justifying Why? ties Why in not? the sport. Because here's the deal. I'm with Rashad. You go out and you spend a bunch of money, you Bling. deal with the hassle of going out to the the stadium and then after watching him run around for like a hundred minutes it's zero zero on the board like i'm sorry what did you just waste all of your time Is doing there, there's there's no shootout there's no you know well, I, it I doesn't think have to be zero be... zero it can be what if it's two two well you no, got a very but, exciting game well that's fine but once again then you're just like what just keep playing man we tied yeah, yeah. Like, whoa. Let's go get a pint, guys. This is a let's go to ducks. the pub. Like, let's, we, there needs to be a winner here. That's just what I think. Generally, I agree. But I've grown to at least accept ties <laughs> because See, I love yeah. soccer so much. Um, and I like watching it. I've grown to accept if, the if fact we're that playing it happens. FIFA, if we're playing FIFA and the game just ends in a, two, in a 2-2 tie. That's what happens in FIFA. Hey, man. Nah, it's soccer. Nah. I mean, nah. you can just play another game if you'd like there and then try to, to a, settle it that there way. There needs but, to be a winner. Uh, but my whole point of this was there actually is live sports on right now. I had to scroll. I was literally scrolling through the guide for like two minutes, and I found it on KGW. 2017 French Open. 
and it's live. I, is it live? I think it's live. I think so. Yeah, it says live on the guide, and we just watched Venus Williams, I think, lose. I don't know. Yeah, she lost. Lost to Jeannie Bouchard or something like that. Yep. Is that the girl's name? Yep. Um, who is pretty, by the way. And uh, so we found live sports, so that's that's a positive. But it's like, it's is it really live sports? Oh, no. First take is on. Yeah. Something called First Take Special was on ESPN. Yeah, because there's the, the game today. You know, the game oh, so they bring them in on a Sunday to, to rant like about it. something stupid? I guess. I'm well, so I'm so over those shows. Well, get your, you know, you can get your finals fix of Stephen A. Smith if you need. Yeah, and Max Kellerman and yelling. Max Kellerman. I've I've never, I mean, I don't know if there's a more, there are lots of other annoying guys, but Kellerman is probably, you know, he, he's up there for me. Oh, he's up there. He's always been up there for me. That's why I remember he was replaced on, like, Around the Horn initially. Was he the host? He was the initial host of Around the Horn. Okay, yeah, he you're right. Him. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, but I don't... He's, he's a not, better boxing analyst than he is anything else. I don't find him to be that outrageous, which is why I think I like him more. The more outrageous they are, I'm talking about the talking heads, the the least, the, the less I like them, the more they feel like they need to have hot takes just to have hot takes, the less I like them. So it's just kind of like, eh, I don't mind him. He just seems to be some weird replacement now for Skip Bayless because thank God he's gone from my eyeballs. Yeah, no, I mean... Skip is over there. He's working with uh, I know. Shannon I just, Sharp. I just don't watch Fox Sports 1. That's no, all. yeah, I, <laughs> I try not to either. You know, there's some other reasons, but, yeah, they're kind of kind of annoying. Well, we might we might get to those a little later, maybe. We might. We'll Depend, depends on how you're feeling in the 10 o'clock hour. But, we'll um, uh, so, but yeah, it's just nice to have some sports on. and Because uh, this is a weird time in the morning, and when the NFL season's there, you've always got something, right? Something's going on. You get a preview show or whatever. And now we're at that perfect time where it's like, Sunday morning is just dead. It's that going to be that droll time yeah. for, for a little bit just because. I don't mind it because I've you don't feel tied to watching something, right? Like I could have just, I almost put on Twilight. <laughs> Seriously, I was like, do you want to put this on? It's a movie at least. You know, not that we like Twilight. It was just something to watch. And we were like, yeah, no. Um, I'm team Jacob. Oh, Sorry. Uh, yeah, me too, actually. I'm team werewolf. It's the werewolf, right? Yeah, I was okay. team Jacob as well. Yeah. The only reason I know this is because my wife made me watch it. Don't judge me. Um, multiple times. I don't know. I work I, with teenagers. I'm bemused over here. Are you? Yeah, by the fact that you even know any of the characters' well, names. Well, Taylor Lautner was was the wolf, I think. So yeah, he's Jacob. He was like the hottest dude ever for like three weeks. You know, when the Twilight series was out, trust me, Jesse, it was all about Taylor Lautner. That's at least that's what all the little thirteen-year-old girls that I worked with said. And so, trust you, me, Jesse, I'm not proud. But you just what I am, you do a ram dump on that information when you're done with the movie. You just press the delete button and delete well, all that info. It's you, wasteless information. I've seen it more than once. That's the problem. Because guess what? My wife likes to watch. Sometimes she gets into Twilight moods, and guess what's on the TV when I get home in Twilight? So happy wife, happy life. Yeah, and look, it's a bad movie, but. There are worse movies. It's a bad set of movies. It's a bad. It there, there are, but there are worse movies. There are worse uh, things she could. Are be there watching. worse vampire movies than Twilight? She could be watching Real Housewives. She could, could be watching Jersey Shore, which is I, incredibly annoying. So at least it's Twilight, right? Although I went to the Jersey Shore when I went to your wedding, um, wasn't as cracking as I thought it would be. But I guess people typically come in July and August well, and stuff. Also, where we were wasn't exactly the most. Kraken place. Well, no, we no. We're, I'm, I'm, we're we actually, you know, we actually drove to, you know, like the. Did you go to Seaside? Yeah, That's where did. Jersey Shore. Yeah, 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 we did. Okay. And you know, thought it was, thought it was. You do realize, by the way, that most of the people on that show were not from New Jersey. Oh yeah, 
there's like one person who was. Everyone else was from like Rhode Island in Long Island and uh, other random places because guess what? It was fake and set up. Oh, yeah. Scripted reality shows. Now, there are people in New Jersey like that, but it is not everybody that was shown in that show. I will always defend it because I hated how that show uh, made people perceive my home state. And I was so annoyed when everyone was like, ah, New Jersey's just full of these people. I'm like, well, I did, no. I did come, become <laughs> very attached to your cheese balls out there. I will say that. I had cheese balls on your, like, the oh, at the wedding or whatever. At no, the wedding? Not at the, not at the wedding. On the, the wedding, there was all type of delectables that you had. You know, <laughs> Lynch had the expensive stuff. He was like, do you want the lobster or do you want the uh, filet mignon? It's like, both. I mean, if you can give me both, awesome. But I actually end, did end up getting both. There was someone at my table that was vegan and didn't want their steak. I guess they got one by accident. So, no, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. No problem. Hold on down here. <laughs> no problem. I'll put it away. That was the best part about being the groom in the wedding was that I didn't have to get any food. And I got everything. Like, I, I couldn't, I was not at the cocktail party, right? Mm-hmm. I couldn't be there. But they literally brought us an entire tray of every single thing that was there and just gave it to us in a room. And we were like, here, you get to try everything. They had the most. And then they gave us every entree at our table so we could try all three of them. And it was there was the like- most phenomenal pastrami that was there. And to this day, I still have been trying to find something similar. And you won't. Been able to. You won't. Uh, that's, what I've, that's what I'm being told. But it was great. Not so you go back. Just as the cocktail hour was over, um, the guys were putting stuff away. I said, hey, man, let me get a little little piece of that. And he gave me the nicest, longest piece of meat. Mm. Mm. So good. <laughs> Mark? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it was so tasty. Including the mmm at the end, please. Um... <laughs> Now I'm a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, okay, so this is Sports Sunday. We got some sports coming up. Don't worry about it. Uh, still on the show. We do have Rashad Rance. I don't know. If, I'm assuming you did it last week, or did you not do it? Did last I, week? Jesse? I don't think so. His whole show was a Rashad rant with yeah. me right, kind of interjecting every once in a while. All right. Well, we got the back to the official Rashad rants at 10 o'clock today. He's not 100 percent sure what he wants to do yet, but he's got a couple ideas. He's noodling, so we'll get to that in hour number two. Also, hater to love it comes in the 10 o'clock hour as well which we do every single week at 10.30, but lots and lots of stuff to get you here in this hour. We will start with the Blazers and the rumors surrounding their draft picks because the draft is, lo and behold, a couple of weeks away. We also have NBA Finals talk. Game two is today. Uh, coming up in, it's actually in a couple hours, right? Doesn't it start at 11 o'clock today? Mm-hmm. And then uh, after the blood in game one, just how much of a chance do you think the Cavs have? Or because it happened last year, do you think they have the same chance as winning as they did last year? And then we also want to talk a little baseball. Albert Pujols setting a milestone yesterday, but nobody seems to be talking about it more than a passing glance. Why is it a bigger deal than people are making it out to be? We'll tell you that coming up as well. So that's all coming up on the show. Text the Bridgeport Beers text line at 55305. Uh, Oregon's original craft brewery. You can also find us on Twitter at 1080thefan. I am at Mike Lynch 27 Rashad's at TaylorMade503. And Jesse's at Jesse Osmond, A-S-Z-M-A-N. So tweet at us there and text us at the Bridgeport Brewers text line. But coming up next, what should the Blazers do with their draft picks in relation to the rumors about the Knicks and the Nets? This is Sports Sunday on 1080 The Fan. Weekend sports with a difference. 
This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. NBA draft season means rumors galore. And we want to hear your thoughts on the Blazers rumors at the Bridgeport Beers text line at 55305. If you missed them, Sean Devaney, Sporting News, uh, Ian Begley, ESPN New York, and a few others kind of contributing to these reports. At the most basic level, we're saying the rumors are that the Blazers are trying to trade draft picks. Shocking, right? We knew that that was going to happen. And the Blazers were trying to attach a big salary to a draft pick. Shocking. We knew that was going to happen. But now we're getting some traction. The reports say that they have discussed this with the Knicks and the Nets, both of whom have salary cap space, especially the Nets, by the way. Remember, the Nets offered two massive contracts last offseason to Alan Crabb and to uh, Tyler Johnson with the Heat. Both were matched by the Blazers and the Heat. So they still have all that salary cap space, but they were willing to spend big money on those guards. Um, so they've got a bunch of salary cap space they can use to eat up bad contracts that the Blazers have. Mm -hmm. The Knicks, once Derrick Rose is off the books for sure, will also have some money to use as well. Not as much as the Nets, but they'll also have some space. The report says that... The Knicks seem to be the most interested early on because they want to have a second draft pick. They're currently drafting eighth. They want another pick. The Blazers could offer them a second pick, obviously. But in the Blazers' best interest, they would want to attach a player who they can clear some salary cap space with um, because the Blazers, with their roster as it's currently constructed, will be over the luxury tax. We'll be paying a luxury tax dollar amount to the NBA, and I don't think any NBA team wants that, and I don't think Paul Allen once that. Mm -hmm. So the report said Mo Harkless was the name that was mentioned, but other players were also talked about, but Mo Harkless was the name that was talked about the most. So my question to you is, what do you think the Blazers can get back from the Knicks for this? What do you want them to get back from the Knicks? You can include the Nets if you'd like. Not that the Nets have anything to give. Uh, that seems too valuable. Um, and what do you want the Blazers to do in general? Because they can keep all three picks, but they're not going to have roster space for them all unless they get rid of Pat Connaughton and Tim Quarterman and all those guys, and then they're going to stay over the luxury tax. So what do you want the Blazers to do? Those three questions, text the Bridgeport Beers text line at 55305, but let's start with what do you want back in a move like this? Well, it, it depends because now we're talking about the New York Knicks. So the question is, what the hell do the Knicks have that you actually want? I mean, I think, is Porzingis on the table? Because nope. if not, then I don't really know if there's much to talk about. Now that we've been talking what a lot about... What can get Porzingis on the table? All three picks? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, all three picks and Damian Lillard. I think that's yeah. about all that's going to be able to get you Chris Stops Porzingis. That's not going to happen. And that's definitely not going to happen. So I, I think that's the big question you're looking at. When you talk about the, the Nets... And the Knicks, you're looking at two bottom-of-the-barrel teams for the most part. Now, Derrick Rose is going to come off the books. Somebody's going to pay him some more money next year. Derrick Rose isn't done playing in the NBA. You the know, NBA is full of idiots. Because the, the, the NBA, man, clearly there are certain guys that still have jobs, still have coaching positions. He has no knees. They keep taking chances on Mo Cheeks for whatever reason. So there's, <laughs> so the NBA is clearly you know, open to giving guys you know, second, third, ninth opportunities and whatnot. But as I look at the Nets roster – outside of Brooke Lopez, man, who do you want? You know, and I'm pretty sure he's aching to get out of Brooklyn at this point just because he's – has Brooke Lopez ever been to the playoffs at this? I mean, I'm sure he has. I'm sure he's been once, you know, but that's probably one of the guys – if I'm looking at the Knicks, the, the Nets roster, man, I want Brooke Lopez. You imagine – But you have uh, Nurkic. But imagine letting, letting Brooke Lopez play that four, Nurkic, Etcher. You know, you've been, everybody's been talking about having a solid four and having this type of four, and you hope that um, – 
of Von Ley is going to turn in to that solid four. And he's shown spurts to where, especially when he's on the floor with Nurkic, that he can be really good. But a, a guy like uh, Brooke Lopez, I think that helps the team immensely right off the bat. And then if you're looking at the Knicks roster, the only guy I can say on that roster that I would actually want to play for the Blazers is probably Courtney Lee. I mean, a, a good I mean, defender. The ones that seem reasonable. Yeah, I mean, of, of, of all you the guys. You want Porzingis badly. You want Porzingis, and I, I think Carmelo would be uh, a, a like good I'd like Carmelo, piece. please. I mean, yes, but I, I'm looking at Melo, and he's a guy, he's not going to change his game right now. Well, like, Melo would be better suited going to a Cleveland or going to somebody who's built to win today. So this is the one thing I, I've always thought this could be a possibility is, I mean, Melo you could probably get for not an outrageous price just because everybody knows that that relationship between right. the Knicks but and But you Mello's still have to pay strength. his $27 million. And you still, but, but this is where I'm going with this, is that um, I could see him taking Mello off of New York's hands and finding a way to maybe flip him to somewhere like L.A., where they have a, a really rich bed of young talent right now, but they don't have a lot of veteran later laden stars by any means, and that's a franchise that really likes that really enjoys having those stars. And then they also are linked to obviously Paul George coming there uh, within the next year or two. So I, I could see something where they get a mellow and then flip them again for some young, you know, talent, which obviously costs a lot less. That's an interesting idea. I didn't think about it that way. Um, we've seen the Blazers do that before in, in more salary dump type of trades versus trades that add talent. I, I joke about Melo because I went to Syracuse and I love him and I and I want to see him in a, in a Blazer uniform for that aspect of it. But outside of him being a really good scorer, I don't think he brings much more to this team than just an elite scorer, which mm -hmm. do they need another scorer? And yeah, really at this do, point, but... I, is a Melo really an elite scorer anymore? I think yes. Melo's still a very good scorer. I, I mind you, and I'm a, I'm with you. I'm a Carmelo Anthony, you know, I remember my hunt for the host. Do you remember? Was mm -hmm. about why you should not hate Carmelo Anthony, man. It's not his fault the way his career is gone. You know? I agree. So uh, I'm I'm of the belief that he is still a, a great NBA player. Now that he's 33 or 34 years old, I'm curious if he can still, much like D Wade right now, can he still score the way that we want Melo? I, 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 I see him he, being a 17 to 20 point uh, point a night guy. You know, and that's right now he I think this season he averaged like 18. You know, something like that. You know, not, so not a whole lot for Carmelo. He's in that perfect spot to come in and still, play still like a Robin role somewhere. Not be the number one guy, but be a good number two or maybe even a number three option on a really nice team. And so, 22 points per game this year. 22, okay. I mean, he's still a good player. I don't think he's the guy that wants to put the entire team on his back, but he's, he's an elite level scorer. I agree with Mike where he can still do what he wants scoring. Now, he's not going to give you a lot on the defensive end, so you need more around him, which is another reason why he doesn't fit with the Blazers. But once again, you know, when you're looking at a guy like Neil Olshay, he's he's doing a good job of wheeling and dealing with trades, and I could see how, well, let's let's take this and find some young guys that fit with our young roster in the career arc of Damian Lillard. Yeah, but the problem is, is, is and it's kind of like a pipe dream. We're, we're talking about this not in reality as much as just that's <laughs> a player that we'd like to see involved because you know that Melo's on the outs with the, with the Knicks, but... A draft pick in a Mo Harkless is not getting you Carmelo Anthony. They're going to have to give more to get Melo. Melo's trade value, no matter how much he might be at outs with the Knicks, is going to be higher than that because he's just too good of a player to be worth a low twenties and a and a random like three in Mo Harkless. It's 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 going to be worth more, so that's going to be tough. But I think that's kind of a discussion that needs to be broached a little bit too. Is Blazer fans, as much as it's fun to dream about this stuff, there's also kind of a realistic level you have to look at too, where 
teams are not going to give up that much for the 20th pick. No. The 20th pick is worth something. It's not worth everything. Yeah. So what you might get in return is something as little as future picks. That could be it. Or you might get, I don't know, a Courtney Lee or something like that, Another a, just a kind of a tertiary player for that team who helps them a little bit and might help you a little bit. You might get that, right? I don't think unless you package picks that you have this year, you're going to move up in this draft. Um, unless a team is just totally looking to move out. But in this year's draft, I doubt it because the top 10 is supposed to be incredible. According to everybody who's talking about it, that the top 11 or 12, the lottery essentially is going to be all great players is what they're saying. So I don't think anybody that high wants to move out. Uh, we did see the Pistons might be willing to move out, but that's all pick 12, 13 area. So it's kind of right at that bottom level. And maybe the Blazers could entertain something with that. But I think what's the most important thing for the Blazers to do this offseason, and this is my my realistic opinion, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not really talking about what they get back because I don't know what the value is, and honestly, I don't care. What I want them to do is I want them to dump as much salary as possible. Get rid of it. If that includes getting rid of some of your draft picks, then so be it. My In my ideal mind, the Blazers trade two of their three picks and attach a player to both of them to two different teams. They clear... I'm assuming, again, just an assumption, you're dropping one of the 70 mils and one of the 40 mils, right? So whether that's Crab or Turner or Harkless and Leonard or whoever it is, you're clearing, what is it? So you remove the, the 20 mil. It's, you're clearing like 80 million off your books, right? Because one year removed from both their deals. And so you lose two draft picks. But then all of a sudden, you're not over the luxury tax. All of a sudden, you can afford to sign yeah, your one. Be 12 million over. Yeah. Next year. That's a, that's and that's assuming they sign the 15, 20 and 26. 26 pick. So they they can't afford to sign all three draft picks. There's not room to sign all three of them first uh -huh. of all and they can't afford to. You clear the salary cap space, you get one pick, hopefully you keep 15 because that's the best chance of getting a good player. And then you have money to play with if there's any chance at all, again, realism, please be realistic, that you can try to lure a free agent to Portland. We know that doesn't happen very often, but there are guys out there that you could maybe try to lure. Hopefully they don't come during the KKK rallies downtown during the Starlight Parade. You hopefully, know, but, hopefully not, yes. You know, I wouldn't want to come there if I saw that. But, but I think that's your, that, that's that's your my, best hope. That's my goal in my mind for this offseason is unload as much salary as you can because you need a reset from last offseason where you just messed up. So I guess I guess for me the the big question is of those salaries that you're dumping like who who is expendable to you if you're the Blazers? Like you got to go crab. Which you got to try crab to to the Nets first because the Nets wanted him they last wanted year him. and you know the 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 Nets right now at, coming up like next year they only really have two players on the books. So they have a lot of cap spaces. They have the ability to absorb that. I would even be willing to send two draft picks along with Crab to get Crab off the books. And then you're finding with somebody who's just sees maybe some talent in Myers Leonard and you try to get rid of him. Harkless still has value, and I still think Turner has value as well. well so Harkless is the one guy. I'm sorry, Lynch, but Harkless is the one guy that I think every Blazer fan that I've talked to is like, you can't get rid of him. Like you've, I think you've seen the growth in Harkless from last season to this season, and to, you you only assume that he's going to get better with time because the numbers have shown that he's getting better year by year that he's here in Portland. So he's the one guy we actually got got a text here on the text line and said, "You better not trade Harkless." And I think that's the sentiment of most Blazer fans. And I still want to see Turner play more with um with Nurkic because those two in the little short time that they played together played really well. Like the defensive end of this team was so much better, and that's where I I think there's still value for Turner outside the fact that he can't shoot a three. Well, so here my opinion on this is very simple. The only player that 
out of all the guys that I think you can, you want to keep is Harkless. But the problem with that means is that he's the guy that every other team is going to want because he's on a good deal. He is. 40 mils a lot, but that's a good deal in this year's NBA, and he does a lot of good things for you. So that's going to be the trouble because the Blazers just want to shed salary. The other teams are going to know that. They're going to know they have a little bit of leverage, and they're going to go, you want to shed salary, we'll give us Harkless because you'll shed salary, but it's your best player. So that's why I say this, and I we, we got a text that says this, and I agree with it 100%. Only untouchable players in the roster, Dame, CJ, Nurkic. I'd be fine if we moved everybody else. I 100% agree with that. If it's Harkless, that sucks. So be it. I think the most important players to move this year are Crab slash Turner, one of the two. I don't. Ca- I don't honestly don't care which. I think. I don't think Turner fits in Portland. We tried it last year. We saw what happened. It worked a little bit. He got a little more comfortable, but it's just he's not the player that makes sense for Terry Stotts' system. Uh, Crab, I think, fits the system better. He just seems to shoot more, and he just, he doesn't for some reason. And then you got to get rid of Myers Leonard. I'm sorry, <laughs> Myers cannot be collecting thirty million dollars over the next three years in this team anymore. Um, and so that 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 gets rid of a big salary. That's why I think they need to dump. I don't care either of the seventies, whatever. And then Myers Leonard. That's who I think they need to dump. I th- I think it should be. Um, I think you let Alan Crab walk. Uh, or you let him go just for the simple fact that Alan Crabb can be incredibly passive, and it bothers me because when he's a guy that's shooting at least 10 times a game, the Blazers do really well. He was, what, 42% from the three this year? Yeah, but he tends to be incredibly passive, and with that, you still haven't seen much growth from Alan Crabb. And if I'm looking at somebody that the one thing the Blazers need is gaping hole as a perimeter defender. They don't have one. They haven't had one since Wesley Matthews and and Batum were around. So I think Alan – excuse me, I think – Turner kind of gives you that one but look on did the Did Turner's defense really wow you this year? I, th- I think by the time he actually got, number one, you're coming to play in a, not just a new team. He came to play in a new conference, a new, more competitive Western conference. You know, the Blazers were one of the bad teams this year, and they were still, you know, the, the eighth seed. You know, it's not like a, an Eastern conference eighth seed where you won – you know, 30 games, but you still got a chance to to make the playoffs. Like he, I think it took him a while to really understand what his role was going to be because you're not going to be the scorer. Mind you, he's a dude that averaged like 17 points last year. So he knows how to score, but now you're asked to take three and four or five steps back and just be kind of a, a, a contributor to the team. I think it was tough for him. So by the time he came back from the injury and learned what he was doing, how he fit in, I thought Evan Turner fit in perfectly with the Blazers. And then from judging from his character and like the way he he comes across and speaks, man, he represents he's Portland. Like he's exactly what the Trail Blazers would be looking for. And he was I mean, when he was in the lineup, once again with Nurkic, that was a top ten defense as opposed to you know, one of the worst defenses in the league. There was there was something there, and that's why you brought him in very much so is to give yourself a perimeter defense and take a little bit of that defensive pressure off of CJ and off of Dane. I think one thing, though, that's important to remember is it's not just about the perimeter defense, which is one of their needs. They do need another surefire scorer because in the playoffs, we found that when Dame and CJ were being defended by the Warriors, there was nobody. It was a desperation of, oh, my God, somebody hit a shot because you're wide open. That's why now – the Warriors were going to win no matter what. But that's why it got so ugly at times is because they knew if you doubled whoever had the ball with Dame or CJ, especially when one was off the court, you could leave Al Farouk wide open. You could leave Evan Turner wide open. You could leave everybody wide open, and they were going to miss more often than they were going to hit it. So, yes, they need a perimeter defender. Yes, they need a four. But they also need one more guy who can actually shoot and be a threat 
That guy is Alan Crabb in theory, but Alan Crabb doesn't shoot enough. He's a little passive. You're right. Um, which, but that's also why I think in my mind, I want to keep Alan Crabb because I think he could be that guy. Whereas I don't see that from Evan Turner. That's the classic Blazers mentality though. He can't, he could be that guy. He could be that guy. That's what we've been saying for Myers Leonard. And now we're finally like, well, dump him, press the dump. I don't, button I don't know how many people have been saying Myers could be that guy. I think Neil O'Shea has been saying that. Some but people fans have. I think like, there's I mean, a lot of Blazer fans that didn't want to give up on Myers, you know, for whatever reason, be it that we, they drafted him whatever, but they, uh, we just got to hold on to him. And now people are coming to the realization that, yeah, he's not that good. And, and I think that's for me. I grab, granted, it's crab shot 42% from three. But I'm just looking like, yeah, you're not that good. Well, no, you need a guy yeah. that's going to take the shots. Yeah, like you said, I mean, you need his, no I mean, you need him to take the shot. If he's going to shoot, then keep him. You but. also need him to play more, though. That, that was one thing, too, where off the bench, inconsistent time. Again, not that I want him to be a starter necessarily, but he needs to get more minutes. That's all. I, I have a little soft spot for Crab, just like I'm sure some fans had a soft spot for Leonard. I think he could be very good, and uh, I think we saw flashes of it. So maybe that's just my own personal guy that I want to keep around for that reason. Um, but if you get rid of him, I get it because it's a big contract, and you could probably find better. All right, coming up next, NBA Finals talk. Game two today. What will the Cavs do to recover? And can they recover in general in the series? That's next. But first, Jesse has Sports Center. Weekend sports with a difference. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. 938 here on your Sunday morning. Mike and Rashad with you. Jesse along as well for Sports Sunday. Text the Bridgeport Beers text line at 55305. Follow us and tweet at us on Twitter at 1080thefan, at Mike Lynch 27 at TaylorMade503, and at Jesse Osmond, A-S-Z-M-A-N. Uh, you can find us there throughout the week as well. NBA Finals Game 2 is today. Of course, two days off between Game 1 and 2 because the NBA likes to drag this out forever. Uh, but it starts at, I said 11 earlier. It starts at 5 o'clock today, not 11. Uh, but you can That's find, good. It, find it right here on the fan Got as time well. to get home. Exactly. A couple steaks on the grill. Take a nap. A long one. Watch a the nice NBA Finals. Yeah. Uh, you can also find it on ABC if you're watching on TV. But listen here. Why not? Uh, so game two is today. Game one was an absolute destruction job by the Warriors on the Cavs. 113 to 91, the final score. The only quarter that was somewhat interesting was the first quarter. And then the, the lead slowly grew. You, you look away, you look back, it's 10-point lead for the Warriors. You look away, you look back, it's a 20-point lead for the Warriors. And you're like, well, we've seen that all season and for the last three years. We know exactly what's happening here. And uh, it happened. But the, the difference here, to me, was Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, which, of course, is the, the main difference for the Warriors this year, despite having a worse record than they did last year in the regular season, completely dominated the game. And it didn't matter that Klay Thompson didn't shoot well. And it didn't matter that Draymond Green didn't shoot well because Kevin Durant scored 38 on 14 of 26 shooting. And he had some help from Steph Curry, who made six of his 11 threes to score 28. And it just didn't matter. Because last year, if this was the game that happened and Steph was the only one hitting, Cavs would have won. But Kevin Durant was there making LeBron look foolish on defense. I will, I've never seen LeBron James look so bad playing defense as, as he did in game one. He looked lost on the court, and I'm not kidding. There were plays where he looked like he was absent. The ball went – there was one play in particular I saw. Steph Curry 
left side of the three-point line, throws a cross-court pass to Durant, right side of the three-point line, right in front of LeBron. LeBron doesn't notice the ball until it's past him, does some half-assed attempt at putting his hand out there to stop it, then runs to guard Durant, he slips and falls, and Durant runs past him for a dunk. That was the epitome of LeBron's game right there on defense was that one play. I've never seen LeBron look so lost on defense. So if that's going to be the case, if Durant's going to play as even close to as well as he did in game one, I can't possibly see this being a series. I think there are a lot of things that went really well for Golden State in that series. The fact that they had four turnovers the entire game, not for the half, not for a quarter, the entire game they had four turnovers. And the fact that Cleveland had like 22, eight of which were from LeBron, or excuse me, 20, eight of which were from LeBron on his own, which was really uncharacteristic. You're not used to seeing LeBron cough up the ball and 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 give the teams, uh, teams other opportunities. LeBron was a minus 22 yesterday. LeBron James was a minus 22 on Thursday night playing basketball. And that's where you kind of have to look at it, man. Kyrie Irving, for as great as he was at points, was a minus 17. Like, these dudes weren't able to do anything. And a lot of a lot of that was because of what they weren't able to do on the defensive end. The one thing you can't do is give the – I think we can all agree, Kevin Durant is the best scorer in basketball. Is that is that fair? Is that fair to say? Yeah. Kevin yeah. is the, That's he, fair to I say. Mean, I think Steph is, you know, up there, top, you know, top four. Kevin Durant's Kevin the best Durant scorer. is the best scorer in basketball. The one thing you can't do is give the best scorer in basketball open shots, let alone open dunks. There were there was like four opportunities. Kevin Durant's first four or five shots were all dunks at the rim. And that kind of lets you know that, man, this is it's it's really pick your poison with the Warriors. So as they're driving down, there's one that was a super telling play. Uh, Kevin Durant's driving down. And mind you, it takes him five, six dribbles to get all the way up the floor. And he comes down, and J.R. Smith is defending, but Steph is also coming down in the, in the right corner. So J.R. Smith makes the decision. I'm going to go guard Steph to make sure we don't. I, I don't give up three. So my question is, is do you give up uh, for sure two points to the, to the best scorer in basketball, or do you give up a more than likely three-pointer to Steph Curry? Like, more than likely he's going to make it. Yeah, you but you go still with... run the risk of him. But you still run. There's an opportunity that he misses, yeah. and you're going the other way. You got to go. Kevin with Durant's lower, not missing a dunk. Lower percentage shot. Yeah. Kevin Durant's not missing the dunk. Well, and, and the fact that they just kind of moved, and everybody was playing this Olay defense. Like, oh well, I thought you had him at the rim. I thought you were supposed to be picking up in transition. That's what the problem was. And I think a big, big reason for that is we're going to see exactly how good of a coach Ty Lue is right now. We're going to see what adjustments he's able to make from game one to game two. Now that you've had three days to look at it. Are we sure he's actually the coach and it's not LeBron James and Tyron Lue is just a puppet? Tyron Lue is a puppet, but that's what LeBron does. LeBron keeps puppets. Hey, the puppet on the other team was Mike Brown. Man, LeBron made him famous. You know, so, I mean, it's it's just one of those things you don't need. How do you coach LeBron? Like the, I heard Eric Spolster say one time the hardest thing he ever did was coach LeBron James because how do you coach the best player in the world? Like, what do you tell him? Like how, I mean, uh, like a fu- do better. Do better. Yeah, I mean, I mean, play <laughs> harder. Try harder. Like, what do you what do you tell somebody that that's that great and everything? And I think that can be a problem, especially when you're Ty Lue and you were just kind of okay, you know, with as a player, as a coach, it still hasn't been proven that you can out scheme some of the best at this point. Well, it's like you said, it's LeBron James trying to out scheme the best because I mean, Tyron Lue was LeBron's guy. And he, I mean, when you think about how you defend this this Warriors team. I, I, I got to go back to 
college basketball and how how much they like to play man on man in college basketball at times. And with this Golden State Warriors, I feel like that's really the only way you can defend this team because of your guys, like you said, pick your poison. Everybody's just got to be responsible for their guy because if you're if you're not, somebody eventually is going to be wide open because that's the way of the brand of basketball that they play. They they pass. Not they pass like nobody else in the NBA. And and on top of that, they actually play defense like most people don't play in the NBA. And so for that matter, if you're you have you have six games left maybe in your season, Cleveland, hike up your shorts and play some damn D. Let's talk about defense coming up next. I want to get somewhat remotely back on the clock here. There is a very telling stat that we've mentioned we didn't mention, but we kind of alluded to that is another reason why it became such a blowout in the end. And uh, also, what will the other guys do? the rest of the series. We're talking Durant, we're talking LeBron, but what about Klay Thompson, who didn't hit a three basically the entire game, but played the best defense I've ever seen him play? What about Draymond Green? What about Kevin Love? What are they going to show up and do the rest of the series to change this, if they change it at all? That's next here on Sports Sunday on The Fan. Weekends were made for sports. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. 9.48 here on your Sunday. Talking the NBA Finals game two here on The Fan tonight, 5 o'clock. Warriors up 1-0 in the series. You can also find it on the TV on ABC later this afternoon. The one thing I wanted to bring up that Jesse alluded to was defense. The, the uh, words. The Cavs did not play defense very well in game one the Warriors on the other hand were smothering the stat that most proves this turnovers Mm. the Cavs had 20 the Warriors four 20 turnovers to four turnovers four that right there is a scary thought 20 if the other team has 15 not the end of the world is close enough the Warriors had four turnovers. They didn't make a mistake. That'll probably increase a little bit. But the defense the Warriors played was so, so incredible. Klay Thompson was unstoppable on defense. Sure, he didn't hit many shots yesterday, yesterday in game one. But I saw a stat in the first half that Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love were 0 for 6 when guarded by Klay Thompson. He didn't give up a bucket to the two other best scorers on the team because he wasn't guarding LeBron. The entire first half, I didn't see the, the end of game stats, but he was like glue. I watched an entire possession where Clay Thompson was on Kyrie Irving and just, oh no, Kevin Love, sorry. He stood there and Kevin Love did his little pump fakes and he did a little dribbles and he was trying to get around him. Clay Thompson didn't budge and he forced a one second left in the shot clock air ball three by Kevin Love because he just was on him. He didn't move. He didn't foul. He just had his arms up. He's long and he just got in his face and he got in his way. Draymond Green played great defense too, obviously. He always does. Uh, I saw a great block shot that he had on, um, I think it was Kyrie Irving going in, oh no, Kevin Love going in the lane, a great block shot. Great defense like always. He was another reason why they forced all the turnovers and didn't give up over 100 points. As long as those guys are playing defense the way they are, it's really hard to beat the Warriors. Yeah, I'm looking more at uh, Clay Thompson than anyone else. Like, we've always known Clay's to be the best perimeter defender on the Warriors. I think all of a sudden we're starting to kind of put KD into a, a great the great defender category. I'm not going to go that far yet. I think he's become an okay defender, but has KD ever made a first, second, or third team? 
defensive, all defensive team? I don't think he has. But so until he does the shows that he can make one of those teams, I'm going to reserve judgment on him being a great defender. Clay Thompson, however, we all know is a, is a great defender. And I think really his scoring is down because he hasn't been asked to really carry that load. You know, the one thing that's so different about this team is the big purple elephant in the room, and it's Kevin Durant. Like, having KD there, having a guaranteed 30 points a night for the most part there, you don't have to do as much if you're Clay anymore. Now you don't have to worry about being the second scoring option. At this point, you can worry about being a third Maybe even a fourth option if, if Draymond is is on some night. So if you're Clay, all you got to do is do what Steph can't. You've got to guard the best perimeter player. And at this point, man, he's guarding Kyrie. Last year, Kyrie Irving had Steph Curry on skates. This year, or so far, mind you, through game one, Ky- Clay is down in scoring. Noticeably, he had six points the other night. But like you said, what he's doing on defense is invaluable because there's nobody that can really stay in front of a Kyrie Irving and a J.R. Smith like that. J.R., who's known for just chalking up threes, you know, chuck up threes at any point from every angle. Like, how do you guard that? But he's doing a really good job of making things difficult for a lot of those guys on the perimeter. And especially guys like, you know, like Kyrie Irving, who still had 24 points, but he worked for every one of those 22, 24 points that Kyrie got and it was it was clay that made him do it it's just one of those things where you look at it and go remember that blazer series remember that first game when the blazers went up and you're like oh wow the blazers could four six right that was the positive thinking and then the defense started and then they put on that extra gear and the defense was there and all of a sudden the blazers couldn't buy a bucket you see it every series and you start to realize that there's just no way to score on that defense now remember I, we use this as, an, as kind of an excuse for the Cavs coming back from down through one last year, but Draymond got suspended and Andrew Bogut got hurt. Now, the year before, K-Love and Kyrie Irving both were injured, so that you, know, you can make that argument for both years that they were in the finals. But if both teams remain healthy and unsuspended, Draymond, then you can look at it and go, this is the type of defense you're going to see from the Warriors. Sure, there's going to be adjustments made, but there's there's something extra there. There's some extra elite level of knowledge of being in the right place, of rotating correctly, of never, not never, but mostly never missing your assignments. It's just, it's almost perfection how they play defense. And that's the one thing that always gets overlooked because of how electric they are offensively and all the shots that they hit is they care and they commit to defense. And the Cavs do too. They're just not as good at it. It's just it's it's as frank as that. The Cavs don't play defense anywhere near as well as the Warriors, like even remotely as well. If the Cavs want to win this series, they're gonna to have to play bully ball and they're gonna to have to do it early. Because I, I just honestly don't how how else are you gonna beat this team? You're not gonna beat them with jump shooting. You don't have those shooters. Kyle Corver, has he panned has he has he paid off for Cleveland at all this year? I don't think he has. I haven't heard much about I haven't him, heard. So When's the last time you've heard Kyle Korver's name really mentioned like that as, oh, man, he's going to be a big threat for He's Cleveland. been hitting those threes. Yeah, Kyle Korver didn't do anything but mess up LeBron's free throw percentage. Came in, worked on his free throws. Now LeBron can't find a, can't find a way to, to make free throws. So I'm trying to figure out what exactly Cleveland does better outside of having LeBron James. And really, if they can't find an answer by later this evening – I think it's safe to say there will be no 3-1 comeback in this in this series this year. I don't think that's going to happen. So if Cleveland doesn't find a way tonight to really right the ship and show that they are they are just as competitive, they're just as tough and even more physical than Golden State, I, I don't know. I pick Cleveland in seven, 
But if you if they continue to play defense the way they did in game one, just this ole for ole, just go do what you want. Amen. Yeah. I don't see this going very far. Well, I, I picked Warriors in five, which was my prediction. But I just – there's something about the momentum that got lost for me in the series where it's, it's hard for me to fully care like I did because we had the week-long break and then there was the blowout in game one, and I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> More blowouts in the NBA playoffs. But the only thing that will save it is if the Cavs play well today, right? Even if they lose – if they play well and it's like 115 to 110 and it's a good game and it's exciting and they're active on defense and they're trying, then all the momentum will come back. Uh, I don't know if it's going to change much about the series because I really just think the Warriors are that much better. Don't forget, don't forget that the Cavs played horrific at the end of the regular season. I know that doesn't mean much once you turn on that extra gear in the playoffs and, of course, they swept the first two series, and they did struggle a little bit with the Celtics, even without Isaiah Thomas, but they didn't struggle a lot. You know, just you, you saw some weakness there. I just don't know if this team is good enough to keep up with the Warriors again. Because remember, the Warriors also have that extra revenge tour, chip on their shoulder thing going this year. They blew a 3-1 lead in the finals last year. They went from being the start of a potential dynasty that could last forever to having won one in two years, and they made it twice, but that's all they did. They didn't get the two straight wins. They win this year, all of a sudden that all that positivity comes back, right? You're not all you're not, oh, but you know, Warriors were down 3-1. That meme has been around the internet for an entire year. People always, well, don't forget the Warriors are down 3-1 too. Just everything. Always talking about it or up 3-1, talking about it, talking about it all the time. So that'll go away. That won't get talked about anymore if they sweep the Cavs, if they win in five games. All of a sudden, they're the best team we've seen in, in the longest time. So that's what they're playing for. And that's where I think that this series is is going to be no matter what. But I just hope for the sake of the NBA that the game is good tonight. I, I, These playoffs have sucked. I hope they get better, too. And I think this is the one we've all been waiting for. Is like, okay, playoffs have sucked, but at least we get Cleveland and, and Golden State in the finals. Yeah. And then the game one was like, okay, first quarter, good. Yeah. Second quarter, close, okay. Third quarter, you're like, damn it, man. But is this really happening? Last year, the Warriors blew out the Cavs in game one. And two. And we still got a good series. Yeah. Well, sort of. You got to remember, they also didn't have Kevin Durant. They had a hobbled Steph Curry, and Draymond Green wasn't in game seven. That's what I can't give Golden State because their first championship win, Kyrie wasn't on the floor. Exactly. And And so Kevin Love wasn't on the floor. This is the first time you're seeing both of these teams at full strength. Now, if if Golden State wins this series and they win it convincingly, the whole narrative is going to be kind of what it was last year where, okay, well, Golden State was really good. They didn't win it. What are they going to do? They went and added Kevin Durant. Okay, now the only way this is a successful season is if they win an NBA title. It's going to switch back to Cleveland. Well, what are you going to do? How are you going to react? How are you going to compete with Golden State? And it's just going to be this constant arms race between Cleveland and Golden State. You add Carmelo. That's the only way it's going to work. And it's just going to make the – you guys want to blame it on Kevin Durant, but it's just going to – it's the way right now that the NBA is. It's just going to get more and more – of a separation between the haves and the have-nots, and that's Cleveland and Golden State and everybody else. Do you think that Clay or Draymond's going to have a good offensive game tonight, or Kevin Love or Kyrie, one of those guys, the secondary guys, are going to step up and make a big difference? Or do you think you're going to see Durant, LeBron, Steph again? I think you'll see that, but you'll see a better game from Clay and Draymond Green. I can't imagine them like shooting 25% again. Yeah, it's just I think when they focus that much on defense – it takes away the offense a little bit yeah. too, yeah. which I think hurts them. All right, coming up next hour, hate it or love it at 1030, as we always do. We will have Rashad Rance. Do you want to do that next or you want to do it at 1015? Uh, we can do it at 1015. Okay, because we got a Pujols discussion as well I want to get to. As Albert Pujols set a milestone yesterday, 
but does anybody care anymore? That's all coming up next hour here on 1080 The Fan.